0: do need a real revolution, a health revolution, one conversation at a time. And that's what you're getting right here on Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. Uh, Thank you for being with me today. If you're commuting, you know, this beautiful Labor Day weekend, the weather in the Pacific Northwest is... Absolutely gorgeous. It's just perfect. So I hope you're enjoying it. Thank you, though, for for tuning in. We've got great information for you today. We're going to be focusing on the flu, and we have a special guest today, Dr. Jim Meehan, who will be joining us in a bit. Um, But before we begin, I wanted to update listeners on um, news about our current petition. So Informed Choice Washington has, and about, I think we grabbed 645 people, and that list keeps growing, who have signed a petition um, asking the Board of Health to convene a meeting um, of frontline practitioners who have developed effective treatment protocols with inexpensive available nutrients, drugs, oxidative therapies, and the like, in order for this information to be exchanged and shared so that the every, all the practitioners can know, the public can know, and you know we can lessen the fear, save more people, and life can get back to normal. So this has been a back and forth dialogue. Um the staff of the board of health came back and said they would be presenting the petition to the board of health for their consideration and they determined that the board of health did have within statute um, the ability and i would say the duty to ask the secretary of health to do this okay they said they would do this on october the 13th so i wrote back that no six weeks is too long to wait Uh, you know i mean we're already months and months into this we need Action now. So um, that correspondence that I just spoke of is, is on our website. And um, and I also CC'd on, on my response that six weeks was too long. I CC'd the Secretary of Health, John Wiesman. And then he wrote back. So he wrote to me and he said kindly, I hope you're doing well. After reviewing your correspondence with the Washington State Board of Health, I believe you will want to reach out to the University of Washington or other academic healthcare partners who have the needed expertise and may have the capacity to convene such a committee. In addition, please be aware that the following two national groups, the National Institute of Health and the Infectious Disease Society of America are reviewing literature and making treatment recommendations. So um, I wrote back to him immediately and said, dear Secretary Wiesman, if you hope to regain public trust, which is rapidly diminishing, I think it would be best for you to reconsider your role and that of the Department of Health in the formation of a committee of practitioners who are using inexpensive, effective, unpatentable treatments right now. As more of the public learns that these treatments exist and the state is still telling them otherwise, the loss of trust becomes increasingly irrevocable. I am not in a position to request the medical community convene such a committee. As Secretary of Health, you are, and you have the resources, connections, authority, and I would argue the duty to do so. And then I cited the part of our our law, the RCWs, and I'll read for you just what's in bold that the Secretary of Health may appoint such advisory committees as may be necessary. All state agencies which collect or have access to population-based health-related data are directed to allow the Secretary access to such data. The Secretary shall review any data collected in order to identify high-priority health issues that require study or evaluation and the evaluation of outcomes of healthcare interventions to assess their benefit to the people of the state. That sounds to me as if this is something he should be doing. And I do understand that this has never been done before, that usually um, the secretary of health and the board of health, um, they don't get into what you would do to treat an infection except for vaccines and we'll set that aside for now. <clears throat> but we are on unprecedented times. Um, the Secretary of Health's mask order has everybody in the state, even children, wearing masks all the time. This has never been done before. We don't even have safety studies to show it's safe for people to wear masks eight-hour day a day at work or children to wear them for so long at school. Um, So unprecedented times calls for unprecedented steps. And it seems to me that it's right there in the statute that he should be doing this. And then I go on to quote like Dr. Paul Merrick, um, who's at the Eastern Virginia Medical School, uh, chief division of pulmonary and critical care, who has said, quote, people are dying needlessly from COVID-19. This protocol can save lives. And that protocol is the MathPlus protocol which has is a drug-nutrient combination that they have found can effectively save lives. You got to bring it in as soon as people get the hospital, you get it going, lives can be saved. And they have now published this protocol. And in there, they say, we believe that it is no longer ethically acceptable to limit management to supportive care alone in the face of effective, safe and inexpensive medications that can effectively treat this disease and thereby reduce the risk of complications and death um, if you want to read the whole thing it goes on and touches some really important things such as the fact that the the gates foundation through the institute of disease modeling and also the mckinsey and company which is a global company are directing the state's response the, the response of many states which is problematic. Um, So informedchoicewashington.org is where you can go to read that full correspondence. And I do hope he comes back and takes the bold, unprecedented step, but legal step to begin to listen to these practitioners who know how to treat and heal um, COVID-19. And so with that, uh, we're going to move on to the flu because everybody's talking about the flu. Like they're so afraid of COVID coming back at the same time we have cold and flu season. And so the vaccines are being pushed everywhere. Um, the CDC's given huge budget. A lot of money has been flowing into the Department of Health in Washington state and elsewhere in order to do a lot of marketing. So we're gonna talk about the flu, what it is, what it's not. Um, whether or not the flu vaccine is a good choice and what else you can do. So let me introduce my guest here. His name is Jim Meehan, MD, and he champions honest science deployed to create genuine health. He has advanced training and experience in ophthalmology, ocular inflammation and immunology, preventive medicine, addiction medicine, and endocrinology. Dr. Meehan edited the medical journal, Ocular Immunology and Inflammation, and he learned to discern high quality research from the low quality biased and contrived pseudoscience used to promote pharmaceutical industry products. He participated in clinical research, investigating the associations between military vaccinations, evidence of previous retinal vasculitis and Gulf War syndrome. Dr. Meehan is a fifth degree black belt, which I think would come in handy in today's crazy times. Uh, In Taekwondo, Uh, NAGA world jiu-jitsu champion, my goodness, and a 2013 living legend inductee into the martial arts master hall of fame. Oh, that is so fantastic. He has dedicated his career to exposing the greed, fraud, and pseudoscience responsible for the corruption of the American healthcare system and the intolerable harm, suffering, and death of America's children perpetrated by an out-of-control Unaccountable and uncaring vaccine industry. I love a man who speaks his mind. Welcome, Dr. Meehan.
1: Thank you so much, Bernadette. <laughs> that was an awesome introduction. I love it. Um, yeah, I like to put my opponents on notice that I can, uh, I can debate the science and I can, um, I'll fight wherever I need to (laughs) to protect the health of the population and I love your intro I love what you're talking about in the intro Um, you know the the science is being um, misrepresented it's being misused there's there the the fact that physicians are having the physician patient um, relationship interfered with by lawmakers that are uh, that have no basis in science is a travesty we've got to stop that um, the, a large portion of the population is being deprived of safe and effective therapeutics. At the same time that we're we're being march stepped into a long line to receive um, interventions like vaccines and um, antivirals that have a 20% adverse event rate, um, mm-hmm. talking specifically about remdesivir, and a vaccine, the coronavirus vaccine, that will be essentially untested, as are, by the way, almost all Childhood, Well, all childhood vaccines don't achieve a level of gold standard science, safety, and efficacy. And, you know, when I learned this um, as, a, as a young doctor in, in practice, that we were not forcing the vaccines like flu vaccine, uh, MMR, hepatitis B, to achieve a level of gold standard science and safety to prove that they are safe and effective being administered to healthy children. It was absolutely a a mind-blowing, eye-opening, infuriating um, thing to learn. And most people don't realize that the science just simply isn't there to prove safety and efficacy of a lot of our vaccines, of all of our vaccines, essentially.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, one of the the silver linings of this COVID chaos, as I call it, um, has been the fact that we have got people in the mainstream, mainstream science, um, pro-vaccine people for for the most part, who are looking at what is being done with the COVID um, 19 vaccine candidates. And they are saying, no, slow down. We must have controlled phase three studies randomized with a not completely non-vaccinated and vaccinated, And, you know, all over the internet, I'm jumping into some of these conversations and saying, yes, I agree with you 100%. Welcome to the world of being called an anti-vaxxer because you, that's all we've been asking for. We've right. been asking for real science. And, and so, you know, the conversation, you know, is leading into some wonderful areas here. I mean, it's just, it's just quite chaotic what is happening out there. I see a lot of good, but I also see a lot of harm. And, um, you know, one of the main issues is that our government, our federal government, the and it's a trickle down, right? It's, we get information from the CDC and it trickles down to all levels and like i will attend local department of health board of health vaccine advisory committee meetings and they all say well the cdc says and the cdc says and i'm like somebody has got to audit analyze be critical of what the cdc says you guys i'm telling you like how many studies do i have to give you please i didn't do these studies other people did please read them um but I scrolled a little bit there. My point really was that why can't Secretary of Health Weisman in Washington State and Tony Fauci in D.C. or wherever he is, why can't they stand at the podium and say, people, take some vitamin C. Right. People, get your vitamin D levels checked. Make sure you're at optimum level. Why can't they say this? And they can, but but they don't. And right. it's so infuriating because so many people – could either become more resilient to influenza, which we're talking about today, to COVID 19, and to any viral infection, if they boosted their health. And we are people made of the molecules of this planet. We are not made of something made in a lab by Merck or Pfizer or Moderna, you know, or, um, oh, who is it that? that makes that room? Gilead, which is. I'm sorry, but that name's a little bit creepy if you've been watching, you know, that show on Netflix. Um, So anyway, so, but let's go on to the, let's go on to the flu. So the flu, what's up with, first of all, why is there flu season? I mean, why is there seasonality?
1: Yeah, so there um, a lot of the seasonality of a lot of viruses has to do with the the structure of their coat. They have many of them will have a a, a lipid coat that protects them, and it, it, that lipid coat is sensitive to higher temperatures. Most viruses um, live at very narrow ranges in temperature, and they can't live very long on any surface outside, you know, and anywhere outside the body, um, in 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 higher temperatures. So seasonality. Um, of course you know the the other part of the seasonality is that many people live their lives indoors which is a you know a perfect environment for many of these viruses to persist on surfaces on doorknobs handles desktops etc so the seasonality has to do with the fragility or the resilience of the the coat that these viruses place around themselves to protect them and to give them some kind of transmissibility. So the more transmissible viruses have more uh, resilience built into their protective coat.
0: Yeah, and it's both temperature and humidity, right? Humidity Uh, is really key.
1: it is absolutely we're finding more and more that that humidity has probably even more of a factor within reason in certain temperature Mm -hmm. ranges but humidity is a very important factor and you know some viruses lower humidity um, they live better. Some some other viruses, higher humidity, they live better. A lot of it has to do with where did they arise. What is their point of origin? Mm-hmm. And if that point of origin, because that's really dictates what the virus did to be able to survive in that kind of environment. That's a little bit anthropo- uh, anthropomorphic, but it, it you know mm-hmm. they do, they they are a form of life. They do have um, an ability to change their genetic structure. In a way, and a lot of people say they're not living. I agree, they're not living organisms in the way we understand it, but they are a highly mutable organism. Flu is one of the very highly, most highly mutable organisms uh, in the viral world, Mm -hmm. and uh, and it so is SARS-CoV-2, by the way. And we will learn more about that as time goes on. But you know, this is this is where um, let's let me say something in kind of general terms about. Mm -hmm the vaccine approach to viral illnesses. When you, you know, I think it's wrong-minded in many ways because we are already... When you try to force an organism into extinction, an organism that has the ability to change its genetic code in a way, especially rapidly, single-stranded RNA viruses like are found in SARS-CoV-2 and the flu, they have the ability to change rapidly. They have the ability to change their genetic structure in a way that allows them to survive when they encounter resistance. Vaccines are a form of resistance. We are trying to vaccinate organisms into extinction. And as you know, the, from Jurassic Park, life will find a way, it often does find a way. And what we're finding is that when, is that the vaccine program is not only becoming less and less effective, requiring more and more boosters, um, still no science to fully support, gold standard science to support their safety and efficacy, but we're creating vaccine escape mutants, strains of the virus that are escaping the vaccine you know, protective effect, however minimal that it may be, and we're creating these escape mutants. So the the trying to vaccinate for something like influenza, SARS-CoV-2, measles, we're we're likely to create to force and nudge, you know, biological life and nature in a way that could have dire consequences for the human race. That's a big general term. You know, when we allow, um, when we allow these pathogens to kind of, when we learn to coexist with them, because we have trillions of viruses and bacteria that live in and on us. When we learn to coexist with them, when we focus instead, as you pointed out, vitamin D, vitamin C, stimulating the health of our immune system. So instead of that virus, you know, taking someone that's highly susceptible because they got several comorbid conditions, they have a vitamin D level that's less than 17, people need to realize that 99.8% of the people in New York City that died of coronavirus died with levels less than 17 nanograms per deciliter when you really should have at least a 30, preferably. I like to keep my vitamin D levels optimized around 70 to 90 range. And when and I could go lick the doorknobs of every Walmart in <laughs> Oklahoma and not even break a fever. I had coronavirus about a month and a half ago, and I've had worse allergy seasons than coronavirus. We treated it with um, over-the-counter therapeutics, and mm-hmm. I'll talk about those later. But you've mentioned several of the key ones. Vitamin D is essential. When we use those kind of things to support our immune system, we can coexist with these these microbes, viruses, bacteria, fungi. We can coexist with all of them, and we're not pushing them artificially towards what we think, what we hope is extinction. And we're not forcing them to mutate in a way where they could actually become more virulent, more dangerous. The Samoan measles outbreak was a DH strain of the measles virus. We created that. That's man-made. We pushed the virus in the direction of becoming more lethal when the natural tendency of viruses is to mutate towards becoming less lethal. Mm-hmm. Viruses want to coexist with us. They want yeah. to, you know, have lots of people that that don't die. If they if viruses kill us, they die. So they want to coexist with us. They want to have lots of people that have mild asymptomatic cases and they just jump through the population. We all, you know, we develop some herd immunity and to a strain and the strain mutates, but they usually mutate in the direction of becoming less of a problem. And that's Mm -hmm. something that we need to embrace. That's that's what got us to the point where we are as a human population today. It wasn't vaccines. That's a, you know, that is, That should be debunked. It wasn't vaccines. They're not a modern miracle of medicine. They are the opposite. They're pushing us in the direction of extinction if we're not careful because we're creating escape mutant strains that are gonna be far more dangerous.
0: Well, I, I think, you know, when you even just look at the fact that there is a susceptibility season to viral infections like cold and flu shows you that it's about host susceptibility because it's when the host, the human being, is living in um, indoor environments with poorly circulating air, with artificially heated air which is dry and then so there's twofold it's not only that in a properly humid environment the virus doesn't hang around in the air long it drops to surfaces but there's also the fact that that the proper humidity keeps your mucosal passages moist and that's your first layer of defense if the virus can't penetrate through a very healthy mucosa but if you get dried out it's just like open the door come on in right right? right. Um, and then there's there's diet and and exercise and stress. And what's interesting is the CDC and all your public health agencies fully acknowledge that all of the things that we're saying about susceptibility exist, but they refuse to take the step one, one more step ahead to say, if you improve these, you can resist infection and heal yourself. And, and that's, you know, and because they're missing that step, we are locked down, masked up, you know, our beautiful naturopaths, functional medicine doctors and some very open minded MDs like Dr. Paul Merrick. Um, immediately turned to his shelf and his life experience of, of treating people with viral infections. And, and he wasn't afraid to grab vitamin C. He's right. not afraid to grab the melatonin. You know, he has seen the studies and um, and he's been out there speaking as much as he can. Dr. Brownstein's got a fabulous all nutrient oxidative therapy protocol. Yes, he so, does Right. So, you know, again, we're human beings and and um, I interviewed Jennifer Margulis, whose whose mother's the wonderful Lynn Margulis. Uh, yes, ta- you know, in the whole world of, of symbiotic um inner relations says exactly like you. I mean, she she challenged the whole um um, paradigm that had been put forward—that it's survival of the fittest—and now it's really survival of those who can cooperate.
1: <laughs> that is absolutely it. Yeah. You know who's also a genius on that topic is Dr. Zach Bush, oh, Zach Bush, MD. Him. Yeah, he's he's yeah. really brilliant. He's really you know that that point cannot be stressed enough. Um, I would love to—I'd watch any any podcast by. Uh, any of the Margolis's or, or Zach Bush. So, and yeah. anything with you in it as well. well. So, uh, <laughs> please get the, let's get them all on it at the same time. And yeah. I, I hear you. I love to binge watch. And I,
0: and I, you know, I think through this whole, I don't know, you and I have sort of known about each other and we've been in the same circles yeah. for a while, Fighting but I'm in the same trenches. Exactly. And you know, this is the first time I think we've really been able to engage. And I really admire your breadth of knowledge, your depth of knowledge and your passion and your fearlessness. And I just, you know, they say when one man um, stands up 50 more grow a backbone. So mm, I really hope I you're hope inspiring so. a lot yeah. of people here. Yeah.
1: Well, um, my favorite, my favorite movie is Hacksaw Ridge. And you know, the story of Desmond Doss and his prayer was, "Please, Lord, help me save one more." As he, as he um, charged into a horrible battle scene and he um, hauled down seventy-five men who had been injured at on the plateau plateau of Hacksaw Ridge. And that's what that's what I pray for every day. Is now that I've you know I know how to read the science and I've read it de- uh, in depth and and read everything that comes out and I see how it's being misconstrued, misrepresented. Um, how we're allowing low evidence levels of science, you know, observational retrospective studies, mechanistic studies of masks on hamsters and such <laughs> to, <Yeah. laughs> to subvert the, you yeah. know, the meta-analyses of randomized controlled trials. You know, we're we're ignoring that. And yeah. we've done that. We do that with flu. We do that with almost every vaccine. Um, you know, there's and, and the reason there. Well, let me say this uh, about the public health authorities there's a level of negligence here that they should be held accountable for the evidence for vitamin d vitamin c and supporting the immune system to suppressing cytokine storms is overwhelming the independent Mm -hmm. science is clear but you know what they serve a master other than the public interest and that's what concerns me there's so much conflict of interest in our our current public health experts—they are so conflicted. They're so biased. They have financial biases. We allow them to patent. You know, we pay them on the public dollar. We pay them to develop science and do research, and then they patent that. And they can, because of a uh, a legislative action called the Bayh-Dole Act, um, they are allowed to um, sell that, license that patent to industry, and then the industry pays a royalty and a license fee. And those people like Fauci can receive $150,000 a year for every patent that they have. And they can have, Fauci's got 12 to 14 last time I looked. Wow. And and so they can, they're making big money in their, um, you know, in their partnership with big industry like the right. pharmaceutical industry. So that, you know, that that biases their decision making. Mm-hmm. It's why I think that we're not hearing about low-cost, highly effective interventions that not only help um diminish the possibility of getting infected with something like SARS-CoV-2, but pretty much every pathogen on the planet that yes. plagues mankind. Right. So we're we're not hearing about those things. We're being set up for an expensive antiviral that Fauci is absolutely conflicted in his interests. He's financially biased. He's Uh, got monetary deals with these companies. We're being set up for a 7.5 billion population mandated vaccine that will not have anywhere close to safety testing done at the time that the human population becomes experimental animals in their next study.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. And we're going to go to a break. I want to make a quick point, though. Um, Everybody needs to read Judy Mikovits' and and co-author Kent Heck and lively, if I got the name right here, um, plague of corruption. And toward the end, she lays out exactly um, some steps that we need to take to move forward to change things so that we can have ethical science again. Um, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. I highly recommend. So we're going to take a break. Um, so listeners, what you're going to hear. Um, are some what I consider public service announcements. Um, I, I just get to pick and choose those things that I um, and informed choice Washington believes in and want to support. And we, we create some PSAs to put out there. One of them you're gonna hear is just some voices. You're gonna hear Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and um, Alan Dershowitz, who's also an attorney. And it's from um, a debate that they had that you can find at childrenshealthdefense.org. So just know when you hear that, if you go to childrenshealthdefense.org and you search for Dershowitz, you will be able to find that. So you are listening to 1150 AM KKNW and Informed Life Radio. We'll be right back.
2: Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4th, 2020, drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PREP Act? To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film, 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today.
3: There will soon be a new vaccine for the coronavirus pandemic. The question is, are these vaccines safe and can the government force you to take them?
1: When it comes down to lawyers, they itch for things like this. One in
3: 40 people get seriously injured by vaccines. It's not hypothetical. If you're right,
2: why wouldn't it follow that the flu shot should be illegal? CDC
1: is a vaccine company. They are not doing their job as regulators.
2: We don't know what COVID-19 vaccine will look like.
1: Anthony Fauci put 500 million of our dollars into that vaccine. And now they've got a vaccine that is too big to
2: fail. Would you urge the American people not to take the vaccine.
1: I'm not anti vaccine.
2: I am asking you the question. What if it was one in a
1: thousand? Oh of course not. I'm not gonna tell one in a thousand people to die. I think you overstate it. Look at the vaccine inserts,
2: Alan masks work we're gonna kill all these people mandatory vaccination we're still gonna make a profit so let's go ahead certainly anybody who runs a pharmaceutical company cares deeply about not killing people
1: you can't sue them there's no discovery there's nothing they never get caught do
2: you wear a mask personally
1: the flu shot
3: not only primes you for flu it primes you for coronavirus they are unavoidably unsafe So, you know, all healing begins in the cells, and for the cells to do their job, well, they need the right nutrients, like vitamin C and D, and gases, like oxygen. Did you know that there is a treatment that infuses every cell of your body with oxygen? Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy, HBOT for short, is a safe and effective medical treatment that can be used in therapies for many injuries and diseases. HBOT was actually used successfully during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic to treat hypoxia and respiratory failure. And it's now being used to successfully treat COVID-19 as several clinical trials are underway. HBOT increases your production of glutathione, which is critical to immune function and increases stem cell proliferation. To learn more about this century-old technology that is the future of medicine, visit hbotnews.org today. That's hbotnews.org.
2: Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington State. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future, where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention and every parent has the freedom to make the best health care decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.
0: Welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW I'm your host Bernadette Pager and with me is Dr. Meehan and we are talking about the flu. So um, I want to get on to some numbers here because people are made to be very afraid about the flu deaths because the CDC every year um, comes out and says that there have been, there's 40,000, 50,000, 75,000 deaths due to the flu every year. Um, What most people don't realize is how the CDC, um, what that number actually reflects. They don't realize that the CDC puts together all pneumonia deaths, all deaths they consider um, influenza-like illnesses, ILIs, along with the um, actual influenza, which may or may not be in that shot, or the many shots that go out there, the type of shots that year. Um, and so we we do not actually have 50,000, 60,000 actual flu deaths every year. The number is more like four or 5,000 or so, um, and I wanted to, sh- I can show this to the uh, YouTube audience, but uh, on the radio, I'll just have to explain to you what you're seeing here is I've got, um, let's see if you can move behind me, the, um, the the CDC numbers on what's going on with COVID, and they show that so far this year, all the deaths, including influenza, so every influenza death, some had pneumonia, some had COVID, but any death that involved influenza. So far this year, there's been 6,662. That is such a small number compared to what people think. And then when you, um, I've got links on the website. If you go to the radio show um, page, you will find some of these links of what I'm talking about. You can go look at all the information yourself. When you do the math and you subtract the different type of columns they provide you with, you see that there were, there have been so far this year, more than 100,000 deaths just due to pneumonia alone, no COVID, no flu, just pneumonia. That's a huge number, um, and that has so many um, causes. So, so hopefully that will put people's minds to rest as they as they move into flu season. Yes, there's a lot of colds and flus and influenza-like illnesses out there, but what's in that shot represents a, fraction, just a tiny bit of what you're going to be exposed to. And then we've got efficacy to worry about, right? And there's a difference between, so maybe you can help uh, listeners understand this, if you can explain the difference between um, relative risk and absolute risk.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So this is relative risk versus absolute risk is a way that they manipulate the numbers to make the effect look greater than what it really is. So Relative risk is let's say that you have a one uh, percent. So a uh, hundred patients were tested. One percent had one percent of them had a, a response. It doesn't matter what the response is. Uh, when you then bring some intervention in place, you whatever that intervention is to treat a disease, and then you test another hundred patients, and two percent of those uh, of got some, you know, benefit from it, let's say. So the difference between those two, 1% and 2% is 100%, right? And they'll say that this drug was effective. It was 100% effective at decreasing the, you know, the risk of this disease process. Uh, Usually their numbers are more like 1% and versus 1.2%, and they'll say 20% effective. But the, the real number is it was only 0.2% effective, or another way to say that is it was 99.8% ineffective, but, <laughs> which sounds better, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it's the way to manipulate the absolute risk, which is the 1% versus 1.2% versus make the number look bigger. And this is how they sell a lot of drugs to us, mm-hmm. is that you have a drug that is marginally effective. Um, in the study that, by the way, was was um, conducted by the pharmaceutical company, we allow them to do that. Huge mistake. We've got to stop that. But in their own study where they selected only the healthiest patients to receive that vaccine, and they, they um, will create some kind of mild benefit perhaps like a one percent versus 1.2 percent and then they'll say that this vaccine reduced the illness by 20 percent that's the way we're being misled it's one of the many ways that we're being misled um the statin class of medications is sold that way exaggerating claiming a 36 percent um uh you know improvement from the treatment when it's it's really uh more like you know 0.24 percent so to speak yeah. so
0: yeah, we really need to. Most people, you know, I was one of them. I assumed that the FDA actually checked and, you know, did some independent work to make sure these drugs and the vaccines were safe. But it's a complete honor system. The company that stands to profit gets to go do all the science. And in the field of vaccines, it's really appalling because they they get to determine exactly what is a coincidence as far as somebody having a symptom and what's a vaccine reaction. Maybe they do that in drug industry um, with drug products as well. I'm not sure. I'm just mostly focused they on do. the vaccines. And, and you know, they make that call. And before they even know anything about um you know what this product can do and and then it goes to the FDA and the FDA just looks at it and says oh this looks good and it's not until years later thousands of parents thousands of people reporting that they experienced an injury and they fight 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 and they get attacked for saying they were injured and then if you're lucky you um, finally get somebody who will pay attention and you'll get some independent science somewhere that that verifies um what the parents or the individual's been saying is true. Yeah. This system has to change. If we had independent third-party verification of efficacy and safety of products that are licensed by the FDA, um, you know, I would gladly pay for any pharmaceutical product more. I don't know how much more it right. could possibly be to get it third-party independently verified, but I would rather that than risk. Um, although, you know, we, we have to keep turning back to nature. That's, it's just mm-hmm. so important to, uh, for us to turn back to nature. So, you know, for the rest of the program, we, we introduced some, um, you know, interesting stuff at the beginning. Now we've told people that um, actually the flu is very rare compared to all the other illnesses and um so now let's empower them. Let's, let's give people the things they need to know to pr- protect themselves from viral illnesses. And whatever protects you from the flu is gonna protect you from COVID? Can I say that legally? Am I like gonna get in trouble with the FTC for saying that? I don't, I don't know how um, that could possibly be because a, the science is so an, clear.
1: I believe it's an accurate statement supported by science. So, yeah, yeah, you probably will get censored. That's what's happening to most yeah. of us that you know kind of speak the truth of what the science says, completely defensible in a court of law. But that's yeah. we're, we're we're not the court of law today on the internet is Twitter. YouTube and Facebook as far as what truth gets presented but you are you are right I mean that's the idea is that we can prevent all viral illness all infectious disease we you know we can minimize our susceptibility is the more accurate way to say it we can minimize our susceptibility we can change the terrain of our body so that we are um, we have a better defense system we have an immune system that is better regulated, that we have an you know an anti-cytokine storm system of antioxidants on board. So um, one thing I, I wanted to say about how we're not using the highest level of science. In science, Bernadette, you know this, that there's a hierarchy of evidence. At the bottom of that is anecdote, and at the top of that is meta-analysis of multiple randomized controlled trials. The the flu vaccine meta-analysis trials, those conducted by uh, the meta-analysis conducted by the Cochrane Collaborative, um, has, has consistently shown that the flu vaccine is ineffective. Um, even if we get the right, we, we guess right on the four strains or three strains that are in the flu vaccine, it's minimally effective. The science is, you know, the one of the biggest and um, best meta-analysis uh, reviewed 90 studies, 90 controlled trials, and that one concluded that there is no evidence that the flu vaccine is effective, um, that you it, it would have to treat 71 people, would need to be vaccinated, prevent one case of influenza. That might be a good business model, but that's not a good yeah. medical therapy.
0: Yeah, and, it, um, and I encourage people to go to informchoicewa.org and, and use the search function to, uh, to search for the word flu because we have a lot of studies on there. Um, some There's a study on there that explains how flu vaccination, even if it is a perfect match, doesn't prevent mucosal infection. So even if it keeps you from having symptoms, you're going to go to work and you're going to be replicating, you know, in your mucosa and you're going to be more likely pass it on because you have no idea you've even got it. So it does not, it's for per, limited personal protection only. Um, and then there's a lot of studies showing it increases your risk of other upper ter- upper respiratory infections. There was that military study that just that came out just before COVID hit that showed that it made you more susceptible to coronavirus family. We don't know about COVID. They didn't know to look for COVID, but more susceptible to coronavirus family. Um, and you know, there's there's just a lot of studies that show that it might be setting you up to be more susceptible to pandemic flu um, and it just when you look at all the evidence of what it can and can't do it cannot protect you in a um, as an environment like a household um, environment when you're that close it's going to be any protection even if it was a match will be overwhelmed um, by close contact it's just really not, and then, you know, we haven't even gone into the the injuries, the right. Guillain-Barre, the, you know, all of the other things that, that are possible with this and the skewing of the um, artificial skewing of the immune system. We have these beautiful um, immune systems that we're born with and that we know. So I, it's kind of like, okay, let's, let's present things um, according to like, like Dr. Fauci said, yes, vitamin D is essential for the immune system. And if you're depleted, it could be a problem. And then he completely dissed that anybody in the United States could possibly have low vitamin D. So maybe we can get away with the FTC by saying, okay, Fauci says you need adequate supplies. Therefore, Bernadette is saying, make sure you have adequate supplies. So, you know, everybody at the CDC level has acknowledged that these nutrients um, that we speak of are necessary for a strong immune system. So therefore, you know, we can draw that, <laughs> that line between, um, between those two. What about fever? Now, I want to tell you, um, a couple of years ago, uh, there was a, an article in the paper, very sad, about a teen girl who had died from influenza. And the coroner had been interviewed because he had he had, uh, had to look into the death. And he said it wasn't the Tylenol. And I thought it was an odd remark to make. So I found his phone number and I called and I couldn't believe it he actually picked up the phone. I'm like, hi, are you the coroner in Georgia, this little town? He was so polite. He was really awesome. And I said, could you explain your statement? And he said, well, she didn't take an overdose of Tylenol. She took a standard dose of Tylenol, but the flu had temporarily impaired her liver function. And so that acetaminophen, Tylenol, was circulating, and it can be very toxic if you're not able to break it down and get rid of it. And he said, so um, because it became toxic to her, um, she died. And I said, but the cause of death on the death certificate is the flu. And he says, yes, because that's the primary cause of death. And then the taking the Tylenol, you know, maybe I'm not sure how they do that. On They weighed it. And I said, but do you think she would have died if she had not taken Tylenol? And he says, it's doubtful. She probably would not have died. So I pass that on to everybody Um, there. And and you can look on our website too. look at um, acetaminophen, Tylenol. We have a really good page um, about, um, about fever about how you should not is that's shutting right. down your immune system and I'll shut up now so that you can oh, talk no, cuz I you, know you, you have make, a lot to say about fever. <laughs> you're
1: making so many good points. Um yeah, you know, let the fever run. That's a part of your defense mechanisms. We do a lot of things to subvert our body's natural defense mechanisms. The fever is one of those. Your body is trying to elevate your your core body temperatures to make your environment inhospitable to the virus to make it less effective it also increases your body temperature to mobilize your immune system to travel faster your blood pumps faster your um it gives the immune cells an ability to get there faster so anytime i get a fever i i I enhance it. I'll crawl in the sleeping bag and increase my fever. And I don't take Tylenol because that's, you know, you don't want to lower the fever. At the same time that you're taking Tylenol, you're depleting your body of glutathione, oh, the yeah. master antioxidant in the body. You need glutathione. We, we've Glutathione is one of the things that can help put out these cytokine storms. Yes. So you want to, you don't want to deplete your your glutathione levels with Tylenol a big mistake that is made when the fevers that often follow vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Um and you you want to let your body the other thing that we do is we take things like mucinex and these you know mucin is another mechanism to prevent invasion you know your your cells secrete mucin to prevent invasion of the tissues and we're doing all of these kind of things to treat the symptoms which are increasing can increase the severity of the disease you may feel temporarily better but you may prolong the disease you may worsen the disease process yeah I, I've rarely, um, in my entire family, we we work on this principle and improve the terrain, stimulate, support your immune system, and you know I, I don't care what it is, it's COVID night, you know COVID nineteen, SARS CoV two, influenza, whatever. We swim in a a sea of of viral pathogens, but I mean they're always mild in us because and in my patients, and you know my my big thing is at the first sign of it of. Of a fever and upper respiratory symptoms, I call it the ACD hammer. You know, mm-hmm. you want to mega dose that vitamin A, uh, hundred thousand units to two hundred thousand units. You know, this is what we do in viral illnesses mm-hmm. in third world countries. By the way, um, mega dose that vitamin C for about you know seventy two hours for three days. If you increase your vitamin D levels to approximately fifty thousand units a day, that's what I do. I'm going to tell you what I do personally. I'm not practicing medicine over the internet, but I'm going to tell you what I do personally. And what I do personally is 50,000 units of vitamin D, usually 10,000 units five times a day. Um, I'll do, uh, try to get about 30 to 35,000 units of vitamin or milligrams of vitamin C in my body. You have to break that into smaller doses because it will cause some bowel intolerance at the higher doses. Um, so you have to kind of, I'll do it every hour. And, um, and then vitamin, uh, the, I said A, C, and D, yeah, so it covered all the big ones. Mm-hmm. Now, the other the other big one that I didn't have a full appreciation for, I'd always th- knew zinc was important, but I think in viral illnesses, we now have a real appreciation for the power of zinc to inhibit mm-hmm. viral replication. Um, so I, that, I'm a big proponent of that now, higher doses that I personally will take. I, on a general basis, I take about 50 milligrams. Mm-hmm. But during a viral illness, I'll increase that to – kind of that Zelenko protocol level, about 220, 225 milligrams of zinc divided doses throughout the day. And, you know, for four to five days to give my body the, you know, the opportunity. Then the other thing that's really interesting in viral illnesses, we've learned a lot about um, zinc and zinc ionophore systems. Of course so I think, Yes, that's exactly it. Of course it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so quercetin is available over the counter. And so even if you are in one of these states, as many of them still are, where the, you know, the politicians and the pharmacy board have restricted the prescribing of something like hydroxychloroquine, which is safe and effective, proven so I can't, you know, infuriates me the, the, the attack on hydroxychloroquine, but quercetin does something very similar. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can avail yourself of that. I'm a huge fan of garlic and um, I'll use a combination of pickled garlic and garlic in my food and, you know, toasted garlic and, uh, but also do Kyolic brand garlic uh, and aged garlic extract and high um, levels of that.
0: It's not only antiviral, antibacterial, but it's a precursor to glutathione you've got all those pre right. all those lovely um things i want to i want to ask you a little bit we're getting really low on time here but really quick i want to this is anecdotal this is just burn it out but i'm one of those people i discovered probably let me see my son 17 when he was four 13 years ago that if i um at the first sign of any illness i go off coffee and no wine at night <laughs> and i do the baking soda tonic have a t- teaspoon um baking soda in a in a you know, half a glass of water. I'm not giving medical advice here, but I alkalize myself. I do like three of those, um, that first day. Um, often that's all it takes the next day, all symptoms gone, I'm done. I stay alkalized for three or four days. Um, for me, it works. The, the whole acid alkaline thing. I don't know the science behind it. Um, a lot of people have different theories about why it works. Um, something about making you less hospital or less, um, more hospit less hospitable that's the word <laughs> to to viruses but whatever reason it it works great for me and I have not had to so knock on some wood here a uh, a bad cold or a flu in thirteen years
1: you're not going to go wrong by doing something like that and then you know um, just get creative there's you know you can create immunity immunities you know teas mm-hmm. that have um, things like propolis and mushrooms and and olive leaf extract and high you know the more spices that you can get into your body the better and and you know these things can be amazing chicken soup etc you know there's there's real, real there's
0: real re- chicken soup not not real the stuff, stuff you, you go with f- not in a can not in a can but yeah, yeah. oh and learn how to make bone broth
2: homemade
0: oh, so slow made beautiful bone broth is so fabulous and you know glutathione 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 mm-hmm. and it really is the NAC. answer to everything and you know i keep going to fauci but he's just so making me mad because yeah. it you know 1990 he, his name is on a paper where they discovered if you that glutathione and one of its um, amino acids and acetylcysteine will shut down HIV replication. It will shut yeah. down Zika replication. It has, it's what your body needs. It's the body's major antioxidant. So, um, so true. You, you have 30 seconds to, to wrap up. What, what do you want to leave uh, listeners with?
1: Well, um, I think the flu vaccine is bad medicine. It's not supported by science. The highest level of science meta-analysis conducted by the Cochrane Collaboration says the flu vaccine is ineffective. Um, it's it's not the right approach that we should encounter all viruses by the uh, the mucosal route, not by injecting you know fragments of that into our uh, our you know the tissues of our body. We're sh- we are shifting the immune system. We're creating viral interference. There's so many topics that we didn't get to talk about, but viral yeah. interference. Yeah. The flu vaccine may be increasing the pandemic yeah. um, uh, flus that we experience.
0: Thank you so much. You're going to have to come back on. Uh, Thank you for being on Dr. Meehan. um, And thank you listeners for joining us on Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Everybody have a great weekend and stay well.